Today we have a really wonderful opportunity to hear from uh, a very special person. Um, this um, minister has been a, a friend, a colleague. She was even my boss at one point in our lives. <laughs> a very, very dear person who plays a very special role at our center. She heads up our spiritual care team. They don't take a lot of attention front and center, but if you didn't know, we do have a spiritual care team that goes out and visits people who may be in hospital or may be homebound, who are facing health challenges or some other challenge in their life or at the end of their life. And she heads this whole team, and over the years she has grown this into a most wonderful group of people who come together and provide such an important service in our community. And that's only one thing that she does. She also teaches many classes. She extends her reach into the community doing weddings and memorials. And she stands for this teaching in a very powerful way. Will you welcome with me Reverend Catherine McLeod. Hello. We're, if you haven't been here uh, since we've modified the stage, uh, it, we're still trying to figure out how we meet in the middle and uh, make it look like we have an organized plan. It's my absolute honor and pleasure to be here this morning, and Dr. Patrick was here for the first service. And, um, you know, it's always a bit unraveling to have your boss and uh, teacher sitting right there looking at what you're doing and giving you feedback at the end. But if you're here and expecting to see Dr. Patrick, uh, I, I can tell you that he gave me the blessing. And so it's, you know, we're, we're going to have a nice walk together. So I know that I feel that I got what I came for just hearing the infamous Brian McLeod. So, so all I can say is the McLeods are on today. <laughs> Shall we pray it in, Brian? So I'll just invite you to open your heart, become centered in this great sacred space of center for spiritual living. And take a deep breath. And breathe in all the goodness of the universe, always available to us. There is a great power throughout all of life. That great power is centered right now in you and me. And as I open my heart and I invite you to open your heart, let's envision our hearts connecting as Brian invited us to do. Let's just con connect from a heart space. And so I know that this morning is already success in the mind of the one. In my mind too. I invite you to claim that. Knowing that what you came here for has already been received. That the thing itself is operating in every moment in all things in love that's absolutely unconditional and always giving itself. And so I release anything that's not in alignment with this perfection, this ideal, this vision of goodness, greatness, and God. I invite you to claim that with me as together we say, and so it is.
I have loved January here at the Center for Spiritual Living. Have you? Have you been here for this? We have a very creative spiritual director. I love it when we have the flash paper and we burn it and release what's not going to serve us anymore. I wrote on my slate, a clean slate, an intention for the coming year. And then over here to choose the color of ribbon to tie it on and actually say, I'm committed to action, to put this intention I have right into 2013 and in my life. In this last week, though, I've had a few bumps, and it's kind of put me to the test. Norm and I went to Turkey in the spring, and we visited the town that Rumi lived in, and we went to see the whirling dervishes. He was a, a turning mystic, and he recited poetry and taught as he turned, and his followers wrote down his words. And so I'm going to start with one of my really uh, favorite poems from Rumi. And it's kind of a reflection of what's coming in my talk, too. This being human is a guest house, each morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty, empty of its furniture, treat still each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new insight, some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing. Invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. It's not easy to meet them laughing or to just be respectful of them when they come. My family and I go to West Edmonton Mall on Boxing Day each Christmas. It's a little odd. It's most, most people would want to stay away from West Edmonton Mall on Boxing Day, but I go because I love relationship. I'm all about relationship. It's just fun to be with my sons and their wonderful wives, and we have coffee, and yes, we stroll around the mall and look for some bargains, but really my main intention is to just be there with my guys and the girls. We have a 14-year-old grandson and an 11-year-old grandson now, and so we are able to leave them with the three-year-old and five-year-old as we go shopping, so it's just the parents. Really, every year it's just the parents. It's just usually one of the parents had to stay home. But this year, the youngest kids were in Maui with their other side of the family, and so the six adults got to be in West Edmonton Mall shopping on Boxing Day. We got there first, my son Ryan, who is a gentle, sweet man. He's one of these people who just is about relationship and um, just really easy to get along with kind of person. He sent me a text and said, we're running a little late, I'm in the mall, we're looking for parking, and it's tight. We met at coffee after that, and uh, I said, oh gosh, where did you park? You know when you know someone really well and you're looking right into their face? You can just get the flash of uh, something, something. I knew there was something. So I said, what? His wife said, tell her. Oh, he said, 
it was really hard to get a parking spot, and there was about three of us cruising around the mall, and a car backed out, and I went right up and sat my front end right there, ready to take the spot. The guy pulled out, I pulled in, and just as I was pulling in, a guy raced into the parking spot and went like this. He said, I rolled down the window and said, what are you doing? He said, my spot. He said, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> he said, where's your car? He said, <laughs> he said, no, no. I'm here, it's my spot. You can't come and stand in the spot. The guy said, what are you going to do about it? He said, I'm coming in. Drove his car in. The guy moved. The universe is such a joker, though. As they were having this little spat, the car right beside him had backed out. Both of them missed that. The friend moved in, and there they sat, side by side. Both had a parking spot. So he was going to end it kind of there, and his wife gives him the, you know, a spouse is a great thing. You just can't get away with anything. They're going to, like, out you, aren't they? So I said, oh, Lori, what? What? She said, tell her the rest. Oh, he said, we got out of the car, and I think he kind of, you know, his senses were coming back to him. And he said, oh, without even thinking, he walked over to the guy and said, ah, it's Christmas, season of peace and goodwill. He said, the guy just looked at him just with exactly the same kind of, I'm a little ashamed and embarrassed kind of look too. He said he came right over to him too, and he said, ah, it's Christmas, goodwill. And he walked right up to Ryan, and he just gives him this great, big, huge hug. 30 seconds, he says, at least. He's just got him. He's an old guy. My age, he said, yeah. <laughs> and he said he started to laugh, and Ryan started to laugh. And there they stood, these two people, laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And he said, it just was the most bonding love-in. He said, it just was such a release of all of that tension that had been building up. And they walked together, and, she, and his wife said, yes, like a couple of fools, you know, laughing and giggling. You'd think they'd been friends forever as they walked out of the parking lot. So I said to him, well, Ryan, the test always is, if you saw the guy on Monday morning at the office, how would you feel? And he said, bonded. <laughs> I have been reading about neuroscience for the past several weeks, and it's brain research. It's just, it's very complicated stuff, and I just start reading a little bit, and they introduce a new concept, and then I run over and read more about that concept. And so I've probably got a book of information for this talk. Uh, you know, we've got, what, 15 minutes left, probably. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you the speed version of this. But it relates. It's from Dr. Dan Siegel. He's a psychiatrist, he's a brain researcher, he's a, he has a clinical practice. He's written the, several books, but one of them is Mind Sight. He is all about tracking where in the brain our emotions sit, and how information travels, and what he's really come to understand is that we can change our brain, our brain can change our mind, our mind can change our brain, and that the mind and the brain are really not one thing. He's been working with, in the end, after lots of research, he's now working with Buddhist monks. And he has done this really interesting piece of research where the monks sat and watched a video 
of something that was very upsetting and distressing. They had their test group that were not monks and not meditators watching the same video. They had them hooked up to the MRI and they watched what happened in their brain as they watched this distressing video. The monks who've been meditating for 30 years, the part of their brain that lit up as they watched this distressing material was really almost the, it was their nurturing love and kindness area of the brain. So almost like the positive, warm, nurturing, mothering, kindness piece of us. The people who were not meditators and not monks, were, what lit up for them was the pain area of the brain, the distress area, the anxiety and worry area. And the other thing that's interesting is that they measured people's gray matter, which is where these these areas of the brain sit. And they found that if they meditated for eight weeks at about 20 minutes in the morning, or 20 minutes twice a day, they increased the gray matter where loving kindness, nurturing, positive emotion sits. And they decreased the part where worry and anxiety and pain are. And so this very brilliant research scientist said, clearly, Buddhist practice, meditation practice, mindfulness practice has a actual scientific effect on the brain. Norm and I look after two grandchildren. I'm at one house on Thursday and he's at the other house with a one and two year old, I'm with a three and five year old, and we switch houses. Dr. Siegel has this wonderful hand model of the brain that he's using. And this is what he says. If the information from our body comes up to it from our brain stem into the base of our brain, the center of our brain, where we kind of regulate emotions and send information up to the top of our brain, and finally at the very end is our creativeness, our um, probably where we hook up with the mind of God almost, if you want to say it that way, is it's the brilliant, intuitive, uh, don't know where you get it, brilliant little flash of insight, um, our most brilliant self right there. But when things happen, like the guy is in the parking spot that you know darn well is yours and he's not following the rules, it's very easy to flip your lid and lose all of this higher level thought and so he is studying that, working with families, working with children, helping people teach children. And so I've been trying it a little bit with grandchildren because there is no better test to flipping your lid and having lots of practice than working with a one, two, three, and five-year-old who flip their lid a lot. <laughs> and it takes everything I've got sometimes not to flip mine right back. <laughs> but, you know, I realize that you know, I, if you give it out, you get back about the same vibration as you've given out. And so it really, it just isn't an effective approach. But it's been helpful to talk about the fact that the reason that we sort of do these stupid things, like take on someone that's in the parking lot that you don't know, that you don't really know is a safe person to drive your car along, that they're really going to move. But what the other thing I've been reading is by Carla McLean, which is... Um, on emotions, and what she said is that anger is really at its healthiest. Anger really is the sentry, a sentry, like a guard, 
at the gate of our life. And it's there to set a boundary and to protect us. It goes awry if it is like a wild dog that chases a rabbit through the woods. I mean, it just doesn't do you any good. And so when we flip our lid, basically this, the healthy century has left us, abandoned us. Fear, she also writes, fear really is there. It's, she likens it to being alone in the house and hearing a noise. And you think, what was that? And you're totally attentive and listening and using all of your senses. And you're even using your intuition to just kind of check in with your body to say, is this something to be afraid of? Or is it just the cat or the dog in the house or the snow dropping off the roof, it's melting? Healthy anger, healthy fear, healthy judgment she goes into, healthy love she goes into. But I thought the fear and anger piece was very interesting because it's a nice little connection with what Dr. Siegel is doing as well. He says that when we feel ourselves begin to get triggered, to take a few deep breaths and just open ourselves up to this uninvited guest. Just open ourselves up, take a few deep breaths and wait, and soon our brilliantness will take over. But if we react, we either numb out, we either leave, or we fight. And we flip our lid, basically, is what we do. He also talked, and I know that Oprah Winfrey talked about this when she was here. Did you go to the Rexall Center and hear Oprah Winfrey? Yes. Well, there was thousands and thousands of us. But she really talked, too, about it's so important to know your life story and to go inside and, and actually figure out your, your life story, to transcend all these emotions, to transcend the wounds of our lives, and to transform them so that they really become part of our hero's journey and part of the st our lifeline story. Dr. Siegel talks about this as well, that, it is, that he's really teaching children, and he's teaching couples, and he's teaching people to go inside, to actually experience their emotions, to sit quietly, He's teaching them about their own intuition, to be mindful, saying it's really part of our healthy mental platter of things that we need to know how to do, and it's not something that as children really most of us were taught about. Emotional intelligence is something that's just kind of come into the field recently. My last story is a story about a young woman who's living with my mother. My mother is 90. She lives in a small town, and she's living in a, her own condo, but it's part of a senior's complex. This young woman has, uh, was a, trained as a nurse in the Philippines, and she's living with my mother as a live-in caregiver. She needs to be with her for two years to kind of qualify for this program that she's with. She went to visit her husband in, in February in the Philippines, and this year found out that she's pregnant. It was kind of unexpected. In around Christmas time, she had this baby in this senior center. She got to the hospital within, the hospital's across the street. She got there within 10 minutes to deliver the baby, but she brought the baby back to this senior's complex with these 80 and 90 year old people who know her well because she's there every day with them, supporting my mom and chatting with them. And she's a breath of fresh air and she's a calm, centered, quiet, beautiful human being. She is keeping the baby um, with her for, a fir for the first couple of months, but then she is taking this child back to the Philippines to the child's father, grandmother, grandfather, and her other four-year-old daughter. On Monday, 
I officiated at a baby blessing in my mom's house with candles and flowers and a few of her very close uh, family that are here, a couple of friends and a couple of family, and we did this fabulous baby blessing. And this little guy was five pounds when he was born, and he's now seven weeks. And he's beautiful, brilliantly awake. He looked at me and made eye contact with me absolutely every single minute as I had him smell a flower, as I blessed him with water, as we put maple syrup on his lip. He, he, just, he just was so present to the blessing. And his mother said when we were finished, Charlie, you're a Christian now. God has you in his heart. You're going to be safe to go to, with your daddy now. So she's going to fly this baby home. She's going to stay with her four-year-old daughter, her husband, his family, and this baby for a month. And then she's going to come back to Canada, look after my mom, finish her stint, and then put her paperwork in with the dream of having him come and her daughter come and her son come back to join her in Canada. There is a power for good in the universe. There is an awareness of this at the front of our temporal lobe here, right at the front of our brain. There's something about having a big dream, of being at the top of the sixth rung of the stairway and knowing there is no seventh rung, but needing to make one that creates it. Martin Luther King said, you know, when you step out, the stairway will appear. She believes that. She sees her and her family united in this country at some point. She has one of those pieces about her that is truly love. She sat and told me her story about her dream of what the plan is and that her whole family supports this and that her whole family said to her, if you want to come back to the Philippines and just stay with this baby, we, you have our support. You do not need to do this for us. But she's doing it for this higher vision that she has for her family of all the lineage of family members that will grow up and be part of Canada. Dr. Siegel says that that's what the Buddhist monks have when they meditate. They come to that place of absolute, where it is, there is a peace, there's a loving kindness, there is a positive energy that simply knows the truth about creation, that all is well. This teaching teaches us that. That if you have a good dream, a powerful dream, a dream for highest good in your life, you can change your thinking, you can change your brain, you can change your mind, and you can change your life. I've tried it out, I know it's true. She's trying it out, but she already knows it's true. So I'm just here today to tell you that life is a precious gift. Some days the guest is invited, and some days it's not. But stay open. Take a deep breath, maybe take three deep breaths. Don't flip your lid, trust, trust that you can end hugging and laughing and walking out friends if you stay the course, if you hang on to your big vision, if you act like it's already true, if you remember who you are and whose you are. There is nothing, nothing more powerful 
than you aligned with God. I always know that when I'm here with you. I always feel it. I'm always reminded when I'm in class, when I hear a prayer, when I hear Brian McLeod sing. I always feel it when I'm with you. I see the divine within you each time we're together. Have a wonderful week. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you.